Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. Over the last few weeks, we have been saying that life is messy and the evidence of the mess is literally all around us. Our stuff breaks, our clothes wear out, people fall out, our favorite bands, they break up, our kids goof up, and almost nothing goes according to our plans. Right? Joseph and Mary found themselves in a mess in the family planning department, which prompted the angel Gabriel to say to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call his name Jesus. Then at the same time, Joseph is given an almost identical set of instructions through a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, let's be honest. Messes like this can be really scary. But we want to respond the way that Mary and Joseph did. Rather than shrinking back or, or giving up during their messes, they chose instead to trust God and that he would turn their messes into a message of hope. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Mary responded by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. They didn't run from their messes. They chose to trust God in the midst of their messes because they believed that he was with them, walking right beside them through it. The child growing in Mary's womb was Emmanuel, a constant reminder that God wasn't too busy, too distant, or uninterested, but rather right there with and among his people. Last week, Keegan talked uh, about the Magi, who were astrologers that came from the east to worship Jesus. They traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles while the priests and the scribes and the Bible teachers in Israel wouldn't go four or five. Right? These are the people who've been waiting years, hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah, and the news wasn't good enough to get the religious elite off their couches. The Magi, they, they bowed before Jesus in worship and presented him expensive gifts, while Herod, the king, secretly plotted to kill him. Jesus' coming was good news, except to those in positions of power who wanted to cling to their traditions and their authority at all costs. And Keegan challenged us to, to think about the things that we may be holding on to at the expense of recognizing Jesus for the rightful king that he is. Today, I, I, what I wanna do is I just wanna read the Christmas story together as a church family, make a few observations about how we should, should respond to the arrival, the advent of our new king. We're gonna read the Christmas story together. I'm gonna uh, be in Luke chapter two, verse one. It begins like this. 
says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. What I want to do this morning is... Uh, Maybe a little more of a devotion and a little less of a sermon, but I just want to make a few observations about the arrival of our king. And the first observation that I want to make uh, regarding the Christmas story in our text this morning is simply this. What was an inconvenience or a disgrace, perhaps, for Mary and Joseph was a sign to the shepherds. Verse 7 said, She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We talked a lot about this idea last month in our Who For You series, right? Things don't always go according to our plans, right? This is your story and it's mine. But the thing is, we have absolutely no idea what circumstance God might be using in the background to lead someone to Jesus, right? When um, Judah was born, literally nothing went the way that we expected, right? He showed up about six weeks early, right? And we went to the hospital on a kind of a random Friday night. It was cold and, and rainy outside, and we assumed that we were just going for like a quick check, right? Um, no bags, no snacks, no nothing. And then about 10.30 that night, Amanda's water broke, Right, the next afternoon, once Judah was born, so about you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I got a migraine. 
okay? I hadn't eaten in a day, so I, was, I wasn't feeling great. I was hangry. Um, I mean, I should be happy, right? I got this new baby, but I'm hangry. And so I went home to sleep off this, this splitting that's in my skull. And I'd no sooner gotten out of the shower, right, then I got a telephone call from my sister-in-law that said, Amanda wouldn't stop bleeding, and she was being rushed into the emergency room for surgery. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I'd never prayed harder than I prayed that night driving from Corridon to New Albany. I mean, think about it. Like literally 24 hours earlier, you know, we were talking about getting some Chinese food and coming back and watching, you know, the Big Bang Theory and just doing what you do on a random Friday night. And, and now here I am with an incredibly tiny little baby and a wife that just won't stop bleeding. If we had done a home birth the way that we, you say I say we wanted to, Amanda would have died. Once we got Judah home, I had to take him back to the hospital every day for like two weeks um, so that he could have blood drawn. And during that time, he slept under this uh, blue light right, all the time, constantly. He was so small, guys, that, that we would feed him through a little five milliliter syringe. Guys, all that was scary and it was frustrating. It was a mess. None of that went the way that we hoped. None of that went the way that we planned. None of that is what we expected. And it would have been really easy during that time to fuss and cuss and cry and complain. But because of the way our son came into the world, we are far better equipped to walk with others when their plans seem to go awry, when things don't line up for them the way that they hoped that it would. Mary and Joseph were bringing their first baby into the world. And not only that, he was supposed to be the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. You don't think they felt awful? sleeping in a barn and putting their baby in a feeding trough? I mean, forget Norman Rockwell. This ain't that, okay? But here's the thing, and this might be the most important thing I say all day, so listen, listen. if you don't hear anything else, hear this. A baby in a manger is what the shepherds were told to be looking for, okay? Sometimes our setbacks are signs for others pointing the way to hope. Sometimes our setbacks, our heartaches, our frustrations are the very thing that are gonna point other people toward everlasting hope. Second observation I wanna make this morning comes out of verse 10. Verse 10 said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Our second observation from the text is because the news is good, our joy should be great. Because the news is good, our joy should be great. Here's the thing too often, the followers of Jesus have an outlook and an attitude that suggests we've bought the fake news of our culture rather than the good news of our Savior. 
Right? Far too many of us mope around with our humbugs and we complain about all the nonsense and the noise down in Whoville as if we're unaware of what's actually really happened. Right? We should be the most joyous people on the planet because we know that God has come near and he has brought us hope. Not just hope for you, hope for us all. Consider the things that would cause you to burst into applause or, or shout out in celebration. The Hoosiers are national champions again. <laughs> right? Maybe if you're a Purdue fan, uh, you'd be a little different. But you can imagine. Or how about uh, you have been accepted into the program. Congratulations. Or the job is yours. Or the scans have come back clear. You're in remission. Or how about, I've been clean for a year or two years or 10 years. Or your wife and your child are going to be just fine. All of that is wonderful news. And if any of us heard any of those things about our team or our kids or from our boss or from our doctor, we would be overwhelmed with relief and satisfaction, right? It would be posted on our news feeds and it would be plastered on our faces and rightfully so. Yet the news that trumps all news seems to get buried. It's not on the front page above the fold, so to speak. What should be the headline of our lives, the good news that Jesus, Yahweh saves, has come close to rescue us from our sins, gets hidden someplace between the home and garden and food sections. The news is so good that we should approach every single day with a joy that the world cannot touch. Question is, does this sound like us? Do we celebrate the good news or do we stress and obsess over the mess? Did you notice that each of the characters in our Christmas story are explicitly told not to fear something? Have you noticed that over the last few weeks? Right? Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Don't be afraid, shepherds. The news is actually quite good. It's easy to stress and obsess over the mess, but Jesus' followers should learn to celebrate instead. And this leads us to our final observation this morning. Third observation is, the news of Jesus, or his, his arrival, the news of Jesus' arrival produces a predictable pattern in God's people. And, and it looks like this. Go and see in verse 15, followed by spread the word in verse 17, and finally praise God along the way in verse 20. Guys, we aren't asked to accept the Messiah's coming without evidence. No, the shepherds investigated the news for themselves. Right? The angel gave them a sign. And then, and then, according to verse 16, they hurried off and they verified what they'd been told. 
As he opens up his book one chapter earlier, Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Right? Luke explains that he investigated the claims of Jesus for himself. Right? Just as the shepherds sought to verify the message for themselves. We don't have to check our brains at the door to follow Jesus. Far from it. The coming of the Messiah will hold up to scrutiny because it is true. And when we do accept the good news, it should produce in us the same pattern we see in Luke and in the shepherds. Right? We should spread the word to others. Because the news is so good and the joy is so great, we can't keep the message to ourselves. Right? We pass it along, we plant seeds, and we pray, we pray, we pray for fruit. And, and, and as we do so, as we go along, again, according to verse 20, we praise God. It says, the shepherds returned glorifying God, praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. As we pass the news along, we praise God. Not because our calling is easy, but because our calling is meaningful. There's more to life than the mess. We carry the message that there is something better for us through Jesus and his sacrifice. As we celebrate the first arrival of our king, we anticipate his return. We long for his second coming when all the crooked paths are straightened and all the wrongs of life are set right. We yearn and we crave for the fulfillment of the good news when, when behold, all things are made new. And as a church family, our prayer is that your Christmas is merry, not just because you get to spend time with the people you love and eat really good food, but because you've accepted the news and can genuinely look forward to the day the king returns. And if you haven't accepted this news, you can today. You can unwrap the best gift that will ever be offered to you, and that is the gift of forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness of your sins and a restored relationship with your heavenly father through Jesus by repenting of your sins and being immersed into Christ. If that's never a step you've taken or a gift you've opened, there's no time like today, Christmas Eve. If maybe you just got stuff going on in your life and you just want somebody to pray with you. I'll be up here. There'll be folks in the back of the room at these green lamps who would love to spend time standing shoulder to shoulder with you, pleading with God, reminding us how much we're loved. If you've got a decision to make this morning, don't hesitate. I'm gonna pray. 
team is gonna lead us in one last song, this would be the perfect time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the best. You're a, a wonderful father. And you provide for us more than we could, we could ever dream. While we were hopeless and lost, you sent your son to die for us. He came as a baby, but he died as a man. And he bore our sins, not his, but ours. Father, help us to live in a way that magnifies and proclaims this sacrifice every single day, not just one or two a year, but throughout our entire lives. May our relationship with Jesus permeate everything we do, every comment we make, every action. Father, may it declare that we belong to Jesus, that he is ours and we are his. Father, if there are those in this room who need to unwrap the gift that is offered through his sacrifice, I pray that today is the day they seize that great gift. That they recognize that they are dearly loved children and you've provided everything that they need to have the most intimate relationship with you. Father, I ask that you calm any concerns and assuage any fears. And just remind them that they are loved and you have pursued them through Jesus. God, thank you for our King and our Savior. We pray all these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.